not. There is no try. Happy beach here, buddy. Come on. Copy that. We're almost there. You must have a thousand questions. Where's Ray? Go away. Jeez, what are you doing here? When I found you, I saw what all masters live to see. Raw, untamed power. The tension of your bloodline. We need your help. We need the Jedi Order back. We need Luke Skywalker. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to some further Han Solo movie coverage and future of Star Wars coverage in the official launch of the Lorecast Subseries, something we're calling it with me and Jedi Geek Girl with the Pizzlecast. We've been talking about it. We've basically been doing it. But now we got a theme, Jedi Geek Girl. Hopefully, the Lorecast is officially launched. Welcome back. And I hope you enjoyed your third solo viewing tonight. I did. It was pretty exciting. And I learned to step back and enjoy the film. I am also really excited for the official launch. I guess we're official now. Of the Lord cast, and I am excited to do more and more podcasts and get into this conversation because I have a lot to talk about about solo because it's it's been a week since I have really been able to sit down and talk about it and we're about to get into that, but I just want to point out how much thought went into this theme for you specifically a you have a badass female bagpiper b it's Duel of the Fates, remixed, dubstep style, and see quotes from The Last Jedi. I made this with love for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you guys out there enjoyed it. It's almost like you know me or something. <laughs> I'm known to occasionally know my friends. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a bad habit. So, all right, guys. <clears throat> so here's what's going on. So you heard my podcast with Simi. I got one coming out in a day or two with Alistair that I have recorded. A man who is a, a big comic book guy, not a big Star Wars guy, loved The Last Jedi to death, not a big fan of Solo, did appreciate some things. So I did get some clarity, Jedi Geek Girl. This is coming out first, obviously, and more important. And uh, I haven't really haven't had a chance to give Jedi Geek Girl her, her you know uh, her due to, to kind of really talk about this film. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you my updated thoughts, uh, which hopefully won't be too long, and then I will yield the floor to Jedi Geek Girl. And Jedi Geek Girl, where I am with the Han Solo movie is I love it to death because it is absolute pure fan service. And I loved most of the fan service of it. 
However, if you're not totally in love with these characters or this portrayal of these characters, and definitely if you're not a like died in the wool old school Star Wars fan, I don't mean old school like from the 80s. I mean like in your life, you know, like Star Wars is important to you. I, I, like, let's put it this way. If you put in other actors in a non-Star Wars uni- random universe, you know, I, I don't know if this movie works whatsoever. Um, and so I'm having trouble being objective about it because I'm totally fine with everyone's criticism. It, it, it is conspicuous that the people who are seeing it, the social media reaction online is extremely strong. Even on my Facebook post, by the way, which I normally delete those threads after a short amount of time, uh, where people are talking about, you know, really liking Solo and, and Rogue One. And there is a discussion about the saga movies versus the anthology movies. That's all very healthy. There seems to be less hate and toxicity at the moment. Um, now, uh, you know, that can that can always change. And, you know, I, I'll just say, uh, you know, because I've said it before and I'll say it again. If this is the least successful movie that Lucasfilm does in a 10 year, its first 10 year period, they're in extremely good shape. With a trilogy from Ryan Johnson coming out, with a trilogy from the Game of Thrones people coming out, with the John Favreau TV series, which I think is the most interesting and prob- maybe coolest thing among all of those really cool things. So, assuming Disney can absorb this money, which I know they can, and they know that fans are loving it, but you do not lo- you like it. Um, and, but I think it's important, you know, that we, that there are middle grounds here. You don't just love or hate movies. There are things you like about it. There are things you don't love about it. You just saw for your third time. We know you love Lando. We know you love Donald Glover. We know you love Chewie. Um, but I'm really interested to hear where you are with this movie at this point. And again, just before I throw it to you. I, I don't know how to objectively judge this because this is a B movie at best if it's not a Star Wars movie, but because it's Star Wars and I love the characters and I, I love the casting, it's B, it's like a strong B plus for me just for that sake. Um, and so I don't know if I need to recuse myself from the debate, but I just, I, I don't know how to engage people on it. And so I'm really curious about where you are with Solo, a Star Wars story right now. My relationship with Solo, A Star Wars Story, is a bit complex. Right now, I do like the film. There are moments in the film that are absolutely amazing. I have been able to sit back and look at the things and be like, okay, I can see why you're, for lack of better words, your diehard original trilogy fans really like this movie because of the throwbacks it makes. But it just didn't hit, hit the spot for me the first time around. And I guess to really to understand my evolution of Solo and where I am right now with it, we really have to go back to the beginning. The first time I saw Solo, as you know from listening to previous episodes of the Bizzlecast, you know I was pretty excited for it, especially for Lando and the new setting and fresh and whatever. And I was talking about how this film would be the one to not necessarily unite the fandom, but be the one that the Star Wars community needed. One thing I did not know at that point in time is what the Star Wars community needed 
it's not my type of style. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy it for what it is. It doesn't mean I cannot go in and love certain moments. It just means that when it comes to the Star Wars that I like to enjoy, it's more of the mythology. Your Jedi, your Force, your even shit in Rogue One, that spiritual aspect of it. And this film did not have it. Along with that, when it comes to Star Wars, one of the things that really hit the spot for me when it comes to Star Wars is connecting to characters, connecting to a story. That's one of the things about the original trilogy. It's a smaller thing, but you're connecting to Luke. You're seeing his evolution. You're watching Han and Leia fall in love. Even the prequel trilogy, Anakin leaving his mother, mother Anakin and Padme falling in love, having a children. Even though it wasn't the best portrayal of the romance, you still got invested in it. Rogue One, you had that crew of people die. Seven, eight, you had major characters in Han and Luke die. So when I went in into this film, my first time in watching it, I never got any of that. And it was shocking to me because for the last, for the last oh God, um, since Attack of the Clones. So for almost for the last 18 years, every time I saw a new Star Wars movie, or, and arguably even the TV series, I was able to get a reward back from it, an emotional reward to it. Like, the last three films on any Disney Lucasfilm, I've cried at. Even the animated series, I it's got a reaction out of me. Excitement, sadness, a level of investment that Solo did not hit for me. So that, on top of the fact that I had the major spoiler which we can go ahead and go in. I had Maul spoiled for me, so going into the film, I knew that was coming, so there was really nothing to oh, that sucks. shock oh. me. Oh, so I had no idea. when I was watching it, I was watching it more, I don't want to say the word objectively, because I think that's insulting, um, but I already knew that that was coming, so when it happened, I wasn't running that high, so I wasn't reacting to it. Like I mentioned on my podcast, it should drop around the time that this does. I wonder how many people' conclusion of a film, the first time they see it, is through that high moment. Um, but once you get through that first time and you see a film over and over again, you can appreciate it. So I actually left the theater depressed because it's kind of like, okay, you, you see a guy that you like, you you doesn't you see a sense of attraction and then you go out on a date and there's no connection you feel like it was it, it didn't happen you know you you're like okay that was kind of a waste and then maybe you go back and have another date and you'd be like okay maybe there's something there and then you go a third time and then you know you eventually fall in love and, and appreciate the person even if you don't romantically get involved with the person maybe you become good friends so that's where i am with the movie right now i'm in that okay i like you i'm crushing on you a little bit i don't know if i can love you but i think we can hang out i I i wish i could disagree or argue with anything you said but i honestly can't um and the fact that i haven't been running because i there's a really nice movie theater near me, um, like like a classy small, but shows you know blockbuster movies. I could get like seven, eight dollar tickets at convenient times to see it, and I haven't gone out to see it a third time. 
And I have to take that into account. Now, with the Rogue One, I had to space it out because it's so dark and heavy and depressing. But ultimately, I saw Rogue One at least four times in the theater, maybe more. Obviously, a ton of time since then. Um, I've had a different relationship with every movie. I mean, The Force Awakens, I was thrilled and relieved. I've liked it more and more as I've watched it. It's super flawed, but it's so funny and fun. Um, Last Jedi, I, uh, I, I loved when I saw. I'm starting to see some more flaws in my eyes. I still love it. Um, but the first viewing was great, but I didn't leave giddy. Like, Force Awakens, I left giddy, and Rogue One, I left just stunned and couldn't wait to go back to the theater the next night. Um, Last Jedi was more of an artistic experience, and this was more of a low-stakes adventure story with Star Wars, but honestly, like, I wish we lived in a society where it was okay to put out, you know, pretty good and entertaining summer Star Wars adventure movies that didn't have to be super deep and super perfect. That doesn't excuse a lot of the flaws, but I kind of, I guess the one thing I would say was I like that this was a lower stakes movie and not an end of the universe movie was, and not just for Star Wars, by the way, but for Marvel and DC comics, you know, and other blockbusters as well was nice for me. That is the best thing about that film is that it is a low investment film. You're not watching a film expecting a huge galactic change or a loss of a major character. There are some major things to happen in the movie, but you like, you can be like, okay, I want to go in. I want to enjoy a enjoyable movie. I want to see something cool. I want to get some hit, some, some high fan moments like the Kesselvan L3 becoming the Falcon Orlando giving Han his nickname. Just basically all these little fan moments that this is what the Star Wars community needed, but it's not responding part of it. Well, it's responding positively to it, but it's not like melding the community for lack of better words. When I think this is, it's really funny because this is the film that a specific amount of fans want. Yeah. And, and we said I, it. I, I don't get it. Like I said, it's not my type of... Like I say, it's not my Star Wars. I don't mean that in a mean way. I really do enjoy it, but... No, look, we, we, we made this specific point, which was, if you complained about The Last Jedi not being your Star Wars, and then you didn't like a movie like this, there's no helping you. And so, I'm not saying you have to like The Last Jedi and or this movie, but if you didn't like Last Jedi because it didn't have enough fan service to the original trilogy, and then you don't like this or can't find something redeeming about it, I think you should probably move on from Star Wars. I think it would be healthy for you and for all of us. And Jedi Geek Girl, The Last Jedi is still drawing all sorts of trolling nonsense online. I mean, my guys Paul and Tim were dealing with it today just in casual conversation about about Solo and Star Wars. Started getting attacked by people, you know, about Star Wars is propaganda and George Lucas is full of shit and blah, 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 blah. But we're the real Star Wars fans, you know. Um, And so I, I think you're right that this didn't really solve any problems because... The fans who are already open-minded enough to see this movie, whether they liked it or not, are not the problem. I don't want to classify anybody, but I do think that there is a section of fandom that is too far gone. You, they are the type of people that are not happy with anything new, and they want 
the old and I'm sorry people but you're not going to capture that first moment you popped in Star Wars when you were nine years old I don't, I don't care what you think because you can't recreate that point of where you are in your life sure can you experience something that can be memorable and stick with you like the last Jedi was for me sure but it's not going to replace like I'm trying to think of something that really it's not going to replace you know seeing Yoda fight for the first time that was my first fangasm and it really stuck to me even though some people might think that's cheesy for me it was really stuck to me but there's not going to be something that recaptures that specific Star Wars moment sure there's going to be ones that are good but not that specific one you know what I'm saying yeah I know exactly what you're saying because you know I love these Star Wars anthology stories and this was nowhere near as good as Rogue One and and I, I honestly didn't expect it to be but the 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 distance between the two, I think, is greater maybe than I expected. Um, and again, though, that's not just a pure criticism of Solo. It's also a compliment of how brilliant I think Rogue One is. But this is also pointing to the separation between the saga movies and the anthology movies. And again, why can't we live in a society where some people like them both? And some people like the anthology movies more. You know, some people like, like you know, saga movies more. It's all, everything has to be a competition. And what you were saying about those, like, you know, uh, unreachable old school fans. The funny thing to think is, Jedi Geek Girl, is whether they even watch the movies anymore. I bet you half those trolls, at least, haven't even seen the movies in, like, 10 or 20 years. It's just this vision of insane nostalgia that they have that they're uh, applying their uh, otherwise unhappy lives uh, onto because they think they're some sort of experts on it and uh i've been pretty restrained uh in recent podcasts i think i was listening back to our one of our soka podcasts for a few months ago where i was really letting loose um, but I, I want to bring back an old uh, nugget from a few months ago and tell those people who are just trying to get us to dislike something because they don't like it as much they, as they used to and go fuck off. Just go fuck off and go watch Pirates of the Caribbean or Fast and the Furious or Rampage or, you know, Jurassic World. I won't judge you. It's totally fine. But don't stop being obsessed with this nostalgic property that you seem to hate everything about. I just don't understand it. Like, why? It, you know what it is? It's like getting hung up on, like, an old girlfriend that you say you're getting over, you know, but you keep you keep talking about and you keep bringing up or whatever. It feels like, and so um, I just I, I I just feel bad. But on the other hand, I was completely able to tune out everything and just enjoy the movie, and, and I had a great time. And because it was Han and Chewie and and Lando and everything, I had an absolute blast. I thought it looked amazing. You know, I sent you an article which you know you said you didn't really experience, but I think was very true that the the film was way too um, the, the film quality itself, the physical film was way too dark, not enough exposure, and there's too many crappy theaters around the country, which is exactly why Disney's trying to buy up some of the theaters um, uh, where it just wasn't showing properly. The sound wasn't coming out. I saw it on two D IMAX. The sound was muddy. It was like a stretched image. Um, it's you know you shouldn't have to pay so much money and work so hard to get a good a good screen in this country so that doesn't 
doesn't help when you have Infinity War that's just big and bold and blustery and beautiful and colorful and everyone can kind of get behind for a weekend or whatever. You know, this really takes a discerning eye. And I actually think there was some subtle, really subtle goodness going on in Solo. But because it was so disjointed at the beginning, um, let's start there. I mean... it just wasn't, it was like they spent too much time on Corellia, and, but then the transition to joining the Woody Harrelson crew seemed to be like kind of sloppy. It happened too fast. I don't know if you experienced that. Before we get on to further criticisms, I do want to shift gears and talk more positively about the film because I think it is important to also talk about the positive. But before I do that, I do want to say that I think when it comes to fans being unhappy with Star Wars and what it is now and where it's going. I think that it's a larger problem in society, but I don't want to get too preachy on that, but I think there's other lining issues that just isn't about Star Wars. I think it's a larger issue, but anyways, moving into the positive in this last viewing, a few things stuck out about me, stuck out to me that I really enjoyed. And I'm going to give you like three of them. Uh, the first, the first one is Val. I really love Val a lot more. I love how strong of a character she is. I do think it's a crime that she doesn't get any further screen time than what she does. But the fact that she's like, it's been a ride, babe. I wouldn't change it. That that moment is powerful. It's like she knows what she's doing. There's no regret. She's determined. It just, I want more of that character. Uh, the second thing is. I can't pronounce his name, and Ardenwright, or whatever, nails it as Han. His performance is awesome, and you really can get lost into it, and he's Han. He's not Harrison Ford, he's Han, and I I, want to see more of him in that role, because I think he does such a good job. The third thing that really stuck out to me this time is I was able to get a lot more emotionally invested and Kira's story because you know oh, this is my third time not only watching it but I'm watching it with almost finishing the most wanted book um, which is about her and Han when they were younger so I actually teared up and I'm like I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm having an emotional response and in that moment when she decides to quote unquote betray Han that it's a major character moment for her. It's a shame that her character doesn't get more deeper, but I want to see more of her characters. Like, does she become a major crime bot? Like, I, 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 this just what, what did she do in her past? I, I'm really invested in that character and I want to see more. Uh, also, Empress Ness, but more her because. We have more time with her. So I think those were three things that really improved for me going into this last time. Okay. <clears throat> Here's why I think the movie is a B plus. Okay. First of all, it's a Star Wars movie. So it gets like an extra, you know, rating or two just, just for being a, a good entertaining Star Wars movie. The cast was so good and it was so relatively well shot and there were enough good lines for this great cast that the sloppiness of the overall movie in the beginning part, especially it just faded away for me 
because once they got to the card table for the first time and Lando and Han started interacting with Chewie and Amelia smiling in the background and the fact that, I mean, look, Amelia knew what Han was going to do at every single turn. And what I love about Kira's character is she's using him ultimately, right? But when she realizes that he is immediately going to... And again, I I know you listen to my podcast. For the sake of my listeners, if you haven't listened to them, we don't even see the scene where Han is thinking about helping the rebels at the end. He, He immediately helps them which informs his character going forward. It makes total sense. And it makes sense that the, the, the Han from New Hope seems incongruous with the Han from the rest of the original trilogy for specifically for this reason, because he's fronting. And she says, you know, he, he's going to help them. Like, she knows immediately what, what he's going to do and the smile on her face of approval, even though she's going to a place of evil, Honestly, I said ahead of time on top of Donald Glover, Amelia Clark, worth the price of admission. She did so much with her eyes and her face and her movements. I, I, I think this is going to end up being a very underrated Star Wars performance because um, we knew Donald Glover would either steal scenes or, you know, lay back so as not to steal scenes. But I, 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 I thought Kira was so much more dimensional than I thought she could be given the screen time. But if you've seen her as Khaleesi in similar roles where she's a noble person and she's powerful, but she also has to hold back and not say what she truly means, especially to men, you can see where this role comes from. And I I, I loved her. I really did. I love the subtle things that she does in her performance. And not only her, but the acting in this film is really top-notch for me. But going back to Kira for a second, like, the moment when she leaves to go meet Maul on Dapamir, you see her looking at Han, and she you can see the sadness on her face. And she's, it's about, she's, like, she's about to say something, but there's nobody there. There's, it's just the subtle touches that she does, the... Move the shift she's able to make when she first meets Han and her excitement to, okay, we got to get into business. It's just the subtle touches that she does in her acting really sucks me into her. I think if, along with the comics, if we can get something of the quality of Rebel Rising about Kira, I think people are really going to come around on her even more. I mean, most people already really like her, but it's undeniable that some of the other material around Rogue One brought people to Jin. I mean, I was sold on Jin from the movie. The other stuff was supplementary, but I do understand that people reading the books and the comic books did help come around on Jin. Uh, I mean, Kira was more likable than Jin on the surface, although she was hiding more secrets, whereas Jin is just totally truthful and where, you know, wears her emotions on her sleeve. And I loved that, as Simi pointed out, Han is perceptive in everybody else in the movie, including Woody, uh, including Beckett, including Lando, when they're trying to trick him. He's always figuring it out, including Chewie. But when it comes to women that he cares about, he becomes a big fucking dummy like so many men. And I thought that was so in character with the Han Solo that we know and love. I think when it comes to Kira's story before the events of Solo, I would actually have an ongoing comic series. Because you have three years you can play with. And in comics, that is 
almost like forever. So I actually would tell her story through a comic, especially since I would hope that they touch up on her story in another film. Like I pitched an idea to you that I don't want to get into too much about how you can tie all these characters and launch your own Marvel Cinematic Universe with uh, Star Wars, a mini Star Wars Cinematic Universe, if you will. So I don't really don't want to get too much after the events of this film. You mean Clone Wars, Rebels, the live action series? I mean, I think we're on the same page about this. <laughs> kind of, but, but I'm thinking more of a event film. So like okay. a mini team. Like I, I pitched the idea to you where okay. like with Marvel, it's all about a team up. Like, it, they, they all lead to the Avengers movies that bring all these characters together. With Star Wars, you don't really, you really can't do that because it's not that genre. But what you can do is you can lead up to a event. a um, So you tie all these characters and weave together to lead to a major event. And of course, the event I am talking about is the downfall of Maul. Okay. Criminal okay. Em- Wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not emotionally ready for this quite yet. Okay. We are. We, we are. We are so getting there. You know, we're getting there. It's the fucking lore cast. <laughs> this is the official launch. We are getting to the siege of Mandalore. I'm just not quite ready yet. Okay. So I want to get there soon, but I, I will say again. I think. I, I I don't know. I think as usual in these sorts of movies and TV performances, I think Amelia Clark outperformed what was a, a decently written role. I think she outperformed it by her charisma and performance. And the same way, look, look let me put it this way. Harrison Ford, not a great actor in A New Hope. He was way overacting. I love him to death. Hansel is great. Harrison Ford didn't really start getting comfortable till Empire and really comfortable until Return of the Jedi. Carrie Fisher, on the other hand, was comfortable from the beginning, even though she was much younger and less experienced. She was much more comfortable. And so she was carrying a bit of the weight of the romantic chemistry until Harrison Ford was able to get there. I felt that happened in this movie, too. And that's why it's so fitting on so many meta levels, right? That it's it's a mirror of the Leia relationship and the Carrie Fisher relationship, but it's not a straight mirror. It's, it's a dark mirror. You know, it's a different version. It's a different reality. But I thought this set up the Han, Leia, Empire Strikes Back stuff uh, perfectly. What I also like about this film in regards to Han is this new interpretation of Han Solo, the canon version of him, tells you that the biggest secret about Han Solo is not that he is a mean guy with a golden heart, but he's a a good guy. You know, he's a good... is a scoundrel, but he's really a good guy. That's his secret. Where the previous incarnations, he's always been a scum smuggler until, you know, the events of A New Hope. But I love how Kira says, I know who you really are. You are a good guy. And that's Han. You know, he tries to put on this act like he doesn't care that he is a selfish being, but he, well, he does 
do those types of things. He is still a good guy. He would rather still save Beckett and Chewy instead of risking the score for profit, you know? And it, that is continuously hit in this film. I really like that new take on Han Solo. And that is exactly why Kathleen Kennedy fired Lord and Miller. Because Lord and Miller, again, brilliant guys, we're, turn, we're gonna make him into a goofball and sort of the comedic womanizer that some people thought he might be. But that was not Lawrence Kasdan's vision. That was not Kathleen Kennedy's and George Lucas's vision for Han Solo. The, the whole time, the vision for Han Solo was that he was fronting to be a scoundrel to protect himself and pay his debts, but was, was as you said, the good guy the whole time. And so for all the problems of this movie, I thought they ultimately got, I'm just following on your thoughts here, they ultimately got that right. And to me... Again, apologies if you've heard me talk about this, guys, but this is exactly like the re- the slight re-envisioning of Jin Erso during the second round of uh, shooting of Rogue One. People think a second round of, re- of, of reshoots for Rogue One, it was Disneyfied and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, they actually made it darker and more of a war movie, but they decided with Jin and Cassian and the main characters to give them more compassion, more dimensionality. And I truly believe, Jedi Geek Girl, in Star Wars, we need complex, yes, complicated, but deep down, three dimensional, compassionate, good guy character leads in Star Wars, right? They don't have to be like Rey, but they do have to end up like Jin or like the Han Solo we just saw. I, th- I think you need that in Star Wars. And as I've said, when you buy the property in 2012 and all of a sudden in 2015 you're trying to turn out a movie or more per year, you're going to hit some stumbling blocks. And I think they tried to be a little experimental with some of their directors, and they were like, this, uh, this isn't true to the characters. And I feel very confident they're going to get it worked out. It's just a shame Ron Howard wasn't able to do this from the beginning. But again, because I, I felt like this whole process was transparent to me, uh, and I know what Ron Howard movies are like, this was actually one of my more favorite Ron Howard movies. Like, I really respect Ron Howard. I like a, a lot of his movies, but this... I thought this was a better uh, Ron Howard movie among many good Ron Howard movies. And part of it was as slow as it was to begin. And there was a lot of like world building early on that, you know, was like fun, but not necessarily, you know, necessary. Once they got the job and met Paul Bettany and once they got, but I felt Jedi geek girl, you know, it's sort of like when they get to Jedi and rogue one, you're like, okay, it's starting. Right. When they get to the card game, the first card game in Han Solo, I, I, I think part of the problem was I was waiting for that moment to begin for a while, and it took a while to get there, but once we got to the card game, I just kind of sat back and, and just rode with the Falcon and the crew at, at that point. I don't know how you feel about that. So, big secret, not really, but being a huge Lando fangirl... What?! From- no. For me, for me, the film was its best when Lando was a part of it. Even yeah. when he was in the background of the castle run, it seems like the best part of this movie had Lando in it. That doesn't mean the other films went. And Kira. 
When Lando, Kira, and Chewie were there, it was when it was best. Exactly. And for me, that's where I really, you know, sit up in my seat and I'm like, okay, I'm engaged in this story and Lando. But, you know, that for me, what he brings to the table really engrosses me. And he, he like, he's, you, your eye is drawn on him. At least it is for me. And I love the charisma that he has. And if you are looking for that scoundrel that Han is not, you know, because, you know, he's a good guy. Lando is definitely a scoundrel, especially if you read the extended canon stuff. It's like the Lando comic that is out. He is a scoundrel, and he's a scoundrel. It's like, yeah, you're a dirtbag, but you know what? You're so charismatic, and yeah, yeah, you, you, you want my $10? Yeah, take my $10. Yeah, yeah, you can have it. So... <laughs> Here's something I wanted to talk to you about, uh, which which is the the uh, the fine art of nostalgia, right? Which is okay. Let's look at the Force Awakens, right? So Ray, as sort of an alternate Luke, works great as nostalgia because she's so relatively different and such a relatively different life and a relatively planet, even though it's a desert planet. That you know, it echoes the great parts of our memories of Luke, but it's so totally different you know borderline maz Kanata. i love maz Kanata. most people like maz Kanata. i know a lot of people that don't like maz Kanata. she's too much like a mix of yoda mixed with some other characters blah 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 okay maybe that's borderline but then you have star killer base and a bunch of x-wings shooting the side of star killer base <laughs> you know like they don't even go into the trench of star killer base to blow it up you know and just because han solo and leia are making jokes about the death star doesn't excuse the fact that it is very sloppy you know in replicating the original series now i love that movie and it's so entertaining i don't really care um also by the way we saw paul bettany with the with the glow sticks or whatever the more I think about John Boyega with Finn fighting, uh, what's that stormtrooper's name from Star Wars Destiny? Uh, FN2199. Devin 219. The fact that he has like an electri- electrical uh, stick that Please can stop. Right, okay, that can stop a lightsaber is, is insane. And th- here's the thing though. These are the little things that the people, some of the people who prefer the anthology movies to the saga movies get annoyed about, or Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. But like me, it's when when Finn took that lightsaber down on FN2199, it should have ripped right through the baton and through the guy, you know? They're playing fast and loose with some of the rules in some places and not others. And I thought, to 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 Solo's credit, they mostly played by the rules as set by Lucas in the original trilogy, but also in Jedi Geek Girl, here's where the transition is going to go to where we want to go. Let's be honest, the amount of talk related to the prequel trilogy and the animated series in the Solo movie was... I mean, way more than I'm aware of is the best way I can say it. Well, let's dive into it because Maul was revealed revealed to be the cameo. They just can't leave that. They have to 
expand upon that because otherwise it is a waste. It would be a moment like, sure, hey, that was cool, but unless they build on it, it's a wasted potential. So they have to do something with Maul. They have to, in my opinion, make him the Thanos, Thanos of DCA's film. And that is a lot of good, not only for Maul the character, the Star Wars movies, but the canon itself because not everybody know, knew that Maul was alive. And now that they know, now they invested a bit into the canon, and it's making you more invested in all these materials like Rebels, Clone Wars, even the Phantom Menace, because you have a character that you reintroduce in a, for lack of better words, more respectful way, and they, they have to do something with him and expand upon that. And I think that will be the takeaway of this film is the beginning of Maul. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm pulling the bizzle here. I, 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 let's put it this way. The mall reveal was amazing. Everything you're saying, I agree with. And I, I'm, I'm about ready to start talking about. But A, there's a lot of prequel and, and like Clone Wars talk in the movie even before that happens. And B, I hope that's not the takeaway of the movie. Because I think there was great takeaways other than that. Let me re- let me rephrase that. I think the one thing from Solo that will influence the direction of other films and inspire other films is the Maul cameo because if they expand upon it and use that as a connecting thread to create a, its own storyline, like with the Boba Fett film and making that the connecting, like you can do that with Solo ship, but you have more things you can do. I think with they're teasing Maul with Boba that Fett. Solo sorry. Can, that yeah. that you can't go. Yeah, you can go places where you can't go with Solo. That's what I'm saying. When I say the takeaway from this film, that's what I mean for the directions that it could go with canon, if that makes any sense. No, I, 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 I understand. And that's why we're going to move in that direction because this movie just didn't move you emotionally and i totally understand that and support that and so you're looking to the future which is great i i guess the the thing i've been arguing for to all sides is let's appreciate all the different sizes and levels and capacities and consistencies of these movies because they're not all going to be pieces of art like the best parts of The Last Jedi, and they're not all going to be pieces of film history like the best parts of Rogue One, you know? So I think, I guess what I'm pushing for, and again, this is a direct response to you, to people in general, is let's learn to appreciate the great things in these movies. They don't all have to be the best. And as I told you today, Geek Girl, after I fell in love with Rogue One, friends of mine who like Star Wars said, oh, you must like Force Awakens less. I said, no, I like Force Awakens more because what I love about Rogue One enhances the things I love about Force Awakens. So I'm pushing for something completely different, which isn't comparison, you know, and putting one down over another, but saying maybe if we start doing this right, and you know, and I think Disney is going to get there sooner rather than later, they can build on one another and we don't have to feel guilty about not loving one or feeling cheated or whatever. Does that make sense? I I, I might be rambling here. It, it, it does. And I do want to set the record straight that even though I'm not crazy in love with the film, I did love it. I did enjoy the ride. I would love a Han Solo 2. I would love these 
spinoff of a spinoff, which is kind of ludicrous, but you know what I'm saying. But as you said, it's the world building. We want this world to continue however you want to phrase it, right? Yes, exactly. And I did enjoy myself, and I would sit another, you know, sit through another movie. And like I said, we need these types of Star Wars movies, especially if they go to, to a year, which is kind of ludicrous in my opinion. But I did really enjoy this film and i do think this always franchise need films like this because not every film can be a last jedi not every film can be a rogue one um so i i do like in that respect and i do appreciate the small you know i do appreciate things in the movies like one thing that really draws me in is when they try to escape the mall and they interject into the not the fuel line but they interject the power thing and you're like okay you see it explode and it goes out and then you see the you know and then the engine fails and it and then it falls into the mall and then it shoots out that is beautiful film taking and this moment that the solo film is filled with moments like that that are absolutely breathtaking stunning and amazing that and that doesn't detract from the film that adds to it but that's the great thing is, is it adds more diversity to the Star Wars movie that, hey, you know, I'm going to watch, you know, I can be like, hey, I'm going to watch The Last Jedi. You can be like, hey, I'm going to go watch Rogue One. Other people are going to be like, I can watch Solo. And that's what we need. We need diversity because not everybody is the same way. And Star Wars has to be diverse. Otherwise, it cannot grow. I mean, just to give a very personal example. Um... By the way, uh, so I'm going through the Firefly uh, Joss Whedon commentaries I recorded last year, which I'm finally releasing this summer. And Revenge of the Sith came up a bunch of, came up a bunch of times, which I didn't remember. This was well before I knew you. And I defended it against Matt a lot, I, which is to say, like... Me liking Revenge of the Sith went from being like, well, this is the best new Star Wars I'm going to get, to this is actually one of my more favorite Star Wars movies. Like, the same movie can change people as you watch it more if you just let it simmer and not fight it. And if you don't like it, don't watch it, you know? But if you keep watching it, then... Just be aware of yourself, you know, and like understand that things, you know, things change, things happen. Um, and I, I actually think Solo will age pretty well. Firstly, I, I, I don't want to keep bringing up the technical stuff. The remastering of it on, on full HD with, with good sound uh, was going to make a ginormous difference. I think it's actually going to look better on like big home systems than it did in the theater. I was, I've been very unhappy with the, the prints that I've seen, so whatever. That's one thing. The other thing, though, is again, the characters. I, you know, and again, you know, and which we're, which we're about to get to with, with the expansion of the universe, uh, which we'll see how much we see more of these characters. I, I can't speak for anybody else other than Chewie. I can't imagine we won't see Donald Glover again, especially because they were so restrained on how she, he was used. I, I can't I can't see it. I cannot see Disney. By the way, Donald Glover, the voice of Simba in The Lion King next year, he is a lifer already with Disney. There's no way we're not getting more Lando. They just have to figure out how to frame it and release it at this point. 
If I may add on to a mm-hmm. couple other things I do like about the and appreciate about the film. Number one, it is a it's it's how do I put this? For me, when I went into Solo the first time, it was so different to me that I'm like, this is what we need in Star Wars. We need a different kind of Star Wars, which is kind of funny because it's so similar to Star Wars. But for me, it was really different. And the second thing is, is this film, you could pretty much sell as an 80s film. It felt very much like an 80s film, like a Blade Runner or your um, Escape from New York. So, Which was weird because Rogue One was specifically meant to feel like a 70s film leading up to A New Hope, right? So I agree with you. It was a little weird. And I think the big difference is Rogue One just felt like the original movies because of the art direction and the cinematography and the way they did the dialogue and so forth and told the story. This had a lot of exposition, some of which worked better than others, being like, here's how we're related to the original movie. Here's what you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, I didn't need to know how Solo got his last name. They didn't need to have the, oh, Chewie, I have to give you a nickname conversation. It didn't bother me that much. I know it bothered other people, but it just wasn't really necessary. It shows that they were, they, they were kind of struggling, I, I, I think, there. But I do, I do agree with all your points. I really enjoyed watching it. You know, I'm definitely going to get it on Blu-ray and watch it. And, um, okay, okay. So, we have to dive into Maul in the future of all this. But I keep promising the listeners, Jedi Geek Girl, I know it's just, a, it's a big special effects thing, but I think it, <sighs> You know, as as glorious as the giant space battles are in both The Last Jedi and Rogue One, there's something special about the Millennium Falcon traveling at extreme speeds through all sorts of environments. I, I don't know if this it does it for you, like if this is a thing, but seeing the Millennium Falcon in basically all of the new movies other than Rogue One has performed so spectacularly and this was maybe the the best of all of them especially with lando flying it half the time with l3 and the old setup and so forth no i completely agree with you that the castle run moment is the moment in the film outside of mall that people cheer most about being the best that the film has to offer and there's something about that that just draws you into what's the moment what's the moment people cheered when for you for that well, when it comes to fan reaction, in my experiences, uh-huh. there wasn't a lot of it. But what I'm trying to say is, as okay. a fan, when I'm watching the movie, the Kessel Run moment is, is this is like very Star Wars, but okay. expanding upon what you know about Star Wars. It's kind of like the asteroid chase if you had special effects back I mean, in the day. I mean, they like use the exact now. asteroid music from Empire. I mean, they, right. they and, yeah. And that was intentional. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. It makes me, it's like, this is, it, it draws you in the film, like, okay, this is, this is awesome, you know? If anything is, like, too short for me, it's like, hey, you know, I could watch a 20-minute segment featured on this because it's so awesome. And I think that's what draws fans into, into the movie is that chase because the Millennium Falcon is the Star Wars ship, for better or for worse, outside of maybe the X-Wing, but experiencing that and witnessing the falcon at its best um arguably is something that is well it's a moment in the film that it's pretty awesome and they nailed it yeah i mean the biggest cheers in both viewings 
were one after another. When, when Han, by necessity, I mean, he wanted it, but by necessity, Han went up and sat down at the main pilot seat, the Millennium Falcon, people cheered. And then, after the... By the way, and this tells you, you know, it's like the rebellions are built on hope, but funny. This tells you that sometimes you can put memorable lines in trailers, and they're still great in the movies. The Chewie, you're 190 years old, you look great line killed it in both watchings. I know people seen that trailer. It was still hilarious. And then Amelia Clark, again, Amelia Clark, gracefully, no, no resentment, no nothing, gets up and yields the seat to Chewie after that. And when Chewie sits in the co-pilot seat, people went even crazier. And that's how I know, and people still love Star Wars all over this country, is those moments are not normally the moments you would cheer in, like, anonymous properties. But in Star Wars, those two guys sitting in their seats for the first time being the big cheer moments, I, 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 I don't know. I, I love that. I don't know about you, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like those moments were exciting and monumental for Star Wars and Star Wars fans. It didn't seem like it was earned because it seemed like they happened way too quickly. And that's one of the problems I had to with this film getting back into criticism. It seems like it hit so many things, especially when it comes to Solo. It's like everything that Solo's famous for, from the only thing that's really you don't get is the life debt. You don't get any acknowledgement of the life debt. But outside of that, you know, Solo got his name. You see how L3 become the Falcon. You see Han win the Falcon. You see him do the Castle Run. You see, you see him saving Chewie. It's, it's, it's all of these moments that happen. Boom, boom, boom. Then it's like a Marvel film. I agree with you. Like we talked about before, the whole thing, the name, the nickname, blah, 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 you know, how, how everything. But because it was without words and happened at exactly the right time for him to take over, I mean, it was a giant cock tease waiting for Han to fly it, but they did it exactly the right time. And the only thing between him taking the... So, Lando gives him the sort of the, you know, head shake that he should go take over, like, grudge, you know, begrudgingly, but realistically. And then the joke, 190 years old, and then Chewie sits in the seat. And that's it. And that's what I appreciate is I did have a problem with how on the nose a lot of the references were, but that felt very organic and natural to me. And I think that's what saved it. I think that part of the Kessel Run and then into the climax saved it for me and then when you add emphasis nest and him supporting the rebellion and han shoots first i mean you know again like i say with the rogue one the two things people can't complain about are a it doesn't feel like star wars and b the last third of the movie isn't exciting like everyone agrees the last third of rogue one's exciting and it feels like star wars i felt the same way with this movie the last third was great no matter what else was going on and the reveal of Emphis Nest and those characters uh, just added to the whole thing. Han shooting first, that again felt more natural to me than just fan service, but it's all interpretational. If I may contradict myself a little bit, but when I was talking about that moment being mm-hmm. unearned about Han taking over from the Falcon, just from a, a fan investment because of it happening quickly, I found that during this last viewing, I was able to soak in those moments when Han and Chewie 
get into their respective seats. And like when Han, when Lando leaves the planet with Han and they jump to hyperspace and you can see the look on Han, like it was the first, like you can see him falling in love, even though he'd been to outer space before and he did travel on light speed. You see that moment of love in his face. You get the same thing at the end. And in this last viewing, that was something I was really appreciate too. I was able to appreciate, I'm like, hey, this is a pretty huge moment. And in those moments, you can be like, yeah, this story is centered around Han because you are seeing this moment of Han falling in love and falling into his place. Like, you know where Han ultimately ends up. But you're seeing the beginning of, to quote a film, you're seeing the beautiful, you're seeing the beginning of a beautiful relationship. And it really makes you want to see more because, it's, it's how, how do I put this? It's like a boy going on a, a series of adventures. It's like Indiana Jones putting on the hat for the first time. Yeah, and this this fell exactly into the adventure movie genre of A New Hope. Most of the other Star Wars movies are giant epic space operas, but A New Hope and this movie... Um, and a, somewhat of The Force Awakens are more Indiana Jones, adventure, um, you know, flying by the seat of your pants, going from one place to another, blah, 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 kind of things. I mean, there wasn't really any epic space battles in Force Awakens. I mean, the battle on Maz's planet was great, but, you know, I mean, it wasn't a giant space opera like Rogue One or Last Jedi. And... Here's the transition, okay? Because we got to get to Maul in the future. But I will say, Jedi Geek Girl, even though your favorite is The Last Jedi of the new ones and mine is Rogue One, I think there's a commonality between those two in being very bold, artistic movies, whether you like them or not. Whereas Solo and Force Awakens are specifically meant to draw from nostalgia constantly, I think. Um, also Last Jedi is kind of a war movie. Um, we don't see as much, you know, war, uh, I guess as, as Rogue One, but it, 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 with all my Battlestar Galactica comparisons, Last Jedi does feel more like Rogue One in terms of being a war movie. And at the end, of course, as well. Um, so I think there are lines, it's not just saga verse uh, anthology, it's also style of film, right? And I think you and I are going to always like the somewhat darker, somewhat weirder, somewhat more artistic visions, um, in our Star Wars movies. I, I don't want to overreach, but in trying to make a connection between our faves, I, I think that might be a, a fair connection. I think that is a fair conclusion to draw i know that this film even though it's not my favorite it's definitely one that i can check out for lack of better words and enjoy and one that i'm hoping to see a fourth time one that i have not even seen it would be more time than i have seen any other film in theater so it goes to show you how much of a film that is much needed, especially in Star Wars, because all the Star Wars films are in such an investment, besides Mary the Force Awakens, the new one, that you don't want to see a multiple amount of time because they take a lot out of you. And I'm already thinking about going to see it a fourth time because it is such a fun ride and I can enjoy it. And it's Star Wars. I mean, why do we have to like 
this Star Wars or that Star Wars. It's sure. like, why can't we enjoy Star Wars? Yeah, sure, think, it's not my favorite movie, but you know what? Yeah. It's still Star Wars. I'm still going to enjoy it, and I'm still going to mm-hmm. go see it. I think the secret sauce of Force Awakens is that it's actually extremely serious and dark at points, mm-hmm. but it's so funny and lovable with the characters and rewatchable that you kind of don't always remember that there's a five minute scene where Ray's being attempted mind raped by Kylo Ren or where Han Solo, you're waiting for him to die for three minutes. You know, I mean, JJ nails the drama, but his comedy and character stuff is so great that it works. I I think the biggest thing with, with the last Jedi is that Ryan Johnson is such an artistic director he, he doesn't have that J.J. Abrams, Joss Whedon, fly by the seat of your pants humor to break out all the time to break it up. And I don't think that's a negative whatsoever. But I do think it, it, when you look at how much money, you know, everything from Avengers to Jurassic World and P- Pirates of the Caribbean make, you have to, you know, it, it's a sad reality about audiences. They need a certain amount of humor. Um and you know that's that's that i thought the humor in in solo was great but okay i'm pushing us forward here because we could keep talking about this forever so jaggy girl so this is the part of the podcast where we put a bunch of predictions out okay i'll let you start because i know you want to put one on on record here uh for the for the listeners for the future are you talking about the one for celebration yep Okay, so Celebration tickets will go on sale on Tuesday, and I cannot wait. There is a lot that I'm looking forward to because this will be the first Celebration I'll be able to attend. I have been wanting to go to a Celebration for 15 years and have not been able to go just due to financial restrictions because, hey, that's life. With it coming to Chicago and being in the area of family for the first time, I am going to be going. There's quite a few things I'm looking forward to. Uh, meeting Mark Hamill is one of them, of course, meeting Donald Glover. It's the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace, but, 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 there's one thing that I am hoping, that I am predicting, mm. that mm. I am putting on the record now, that really? I am hoping that will happen at Celebration. Okay. And, all right, ladies and gentlemen, get ready. I predict at Celebration 2019 in Chicago, we will see the return of Natalie Portman to the Star Wars community. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. And actually, I, I can vouch for Jaggy Girl. It's June 4th, 2018. I can vouch for Jaggy Girl. She said this a while ago. Got me on board. I'm on board. I am totally on board. That's going to happen. I hope it happens. For her sake and the fan's sake, I hope it happens. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I know. I just... She... It will be so awesome, and it, it will definitely be a moment. And if you are thinking about going to Celebration, by the time this podcast drops, it might be before tickets go on sale or after that you should be able to go. I would highly go. It's going to be a memorable Celebration. Like I mentioned before, the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace. If you like the movie or not, it's going to be a special moment. It's the largest convention center in North America, and... It's going to be historic. It's going to be probably the same level that the celebration three years ago was when they debuted The Force Awakens just because 2019, you're going to have a lot going on. You're going to have Resistance Season 2. You're going to have the other Star Wars movies. You're going to have Episode 9. It's just 
and the community. There's going to be so much diversity in your community. If you want to go to a Legends panel, there's going to be Legends panels. If you are a cosplayer, there's going to be cosplayer podcasts. I'm going. I'm going to be there all five days, and I'm trying to get Bizzle to go all five days, but (laughs) I'll be there, and I am looking forward, and I am so excited because it's going to be it it is a once in a lifetime experience absolutely absolutely so okay so now here's the part where we both uh pat ourselves on the back a a bunch of times all right (laughs) so okay firstly well this one's just me i called time travel with ahsoka tano like a year ago you guys can check the tape i'm not gonna say anything more about that but they did it way cooler than I thought with Rebels, right? But who are the main great characters that have carried through from the prequels through the animated series? Obi-Wan, Anakin, Ahsoka, and Darth Maul, who we see at the end in a major cameo that is not accidental whatsoever by Kathleen Kennedy and the Lucasfilm story group. Obi-Wan, Anakin, Ahsoka, Maul, the Siege of Mandalore. They've already described it. We've seen it in books. We've seen Dave Filoni talk about it. We know it happens. We know that Ahsoka fights Maul. We know that Obi-Wan and and Anakin are there, but put her in charge, essentially, with the clones who we've met. Jedi Geek Girl, how can they not make this happen? They almost, I don't want to say they almost have to, but they definitely... Ken, now that Maul has been introduced in the cinematic cinematic universe with ties to the animated series, I think Maul opens the door for a lot of other characters coming over, especially the one that you and I are both looking forward to, and that would be Ahsoka. So I think you can do a lot with Maul, and, and you can even do a Maul versus Fader. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because, because remember, because remember, in Rebels, Maul said that he's no match for Vader. How does he know that? I mean, selfishly, I don't want Vader to reappear in any kind of prequel um, again, other than Rogue One, unless it's like really, really, really earned and deserved, personally. So, I do not want to get into my theory, because we can save that for another episode, but remember that event film that I was talking about? Mm-hmm. I think you could do it there. I think they just, all they need to do is re-envision the exact events of the Siege of Mandalore by like 20% where Obi-Wan and Anakin need to be fighting on the planet for a while. And then they get called away, which is essentially what happens. And then Ahsoka fights them all with some support from the clones. And then she runs into the wilderness. Now, Look, let's okay, let's go straight to the facts. There is only one definitive reason that we know that Maul was included in this movie, which is confirmation of the Obi-Wan movie. It has to be. 
It has to be. I mean, after all of this trying to win fans back and like losing money on this movie because of all the fan service, and then they introduce Maul with freaking Amelia Clark, the mother of dragons, and not do the Obi Wan movie? No way. No way. Is is there any? Let's hold. Let's hold off on this one for one sec. Is there any chance they're not doing the Obi Wan movie? No, I think it it's definitely likely, but I think that is a next when it's next due to how we know that story ends with Obi Wan and Maul. But I don't think that's the, but the, yeah, but we know we know how the Rogue One story ended too. And it wasn't any less gripping, you know. I mean, you look, we we know how it ends. You could do a live action version of that fight from the cartoon. It would look amazing, you know, like Kill Bill style or something. I mean, you could totally do it. My big problem is I know they want Ray Park for his look, but Sam Witwer is cut with giant cheekbones and he's like incredibly good looking, studly, manly, physical guy. Why don't they just put Sam Witwer in the Darth Maul costume? He should be playing Darth Maul even more than I could cast Rosario Dawson for Ahsoka. I, I feel like Witwer should be playing Maul. I think if you do a younger Maul, like say in a Siege of Mandalore story, I think he would definitely be worth it. But I think he could definitely fit. I mean, they pulled it off with 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 the lip syncing, you know. I mean, you couldn't even really tell, you know, if you didn't know ahead of time, and even then, like it was totally seamless. But the bigger question is, <laughs> look, let, let let's let's talk big picture here. If you're Disney and Lucasfilm, you can't just keep following the breadcrumbs, right? Like. They should be doing the Siege of Mandalore because Filoni and company have been telling them to do it for years, not because, oh, that Darth Maul thing really attracted people, so now we'll work in Ahsoka, and now we'll do, you know? Like, they have to have a grand plan for all these things. And I think the problem, Jedi Geek Girl, is we don't know what media uh, uh, um, consumption is going to look like five, ten years from now. Is it going to be mostly on TV? There's still going to be movie theaters? Is there going to be a renaissance with the movies? Is no movies whatsoever? We just have no idea. And so, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jedi Geek Girl. I can't believe I even said this. The most obvious... Let's put it this way. If I had to ask you, the most likely place to see live-action Ahsoka first, what would you say? Um, are you talking about like the form of media? Yeah, no, I'm asking you. I'm asking you from right now, where's the most likely, t- you know, media director format, whatever, where we will s- maybe see live action Ahsoka? I would say it's more likely that we see her on TV over film. Yeah, I think John Favreau series, right? I mean, it's three years after Return of the Jedi. We know she's alive. I mean, I, I've been postulating that she stays alive long enough to mentor Rey in Episode Nine, but like three years after Return of the Jedi, here's the thing. I oh, first of all, quick aside, what was it like meeting Ashley Eckstein? Oh my god, I cannot believe we didn't get to that. Tell oh me, my god. tell me. Oh, oh, that's just oh, okay. So I wasn't going to go. Um, Ashley Eckstein is on a book tour and she visited Minnesota once 
before and I did not know until the day after. And I was crushed because she is an icon of, of mine. She's a role model. She's the voice of my favorite character. She created a company that I buy from occasionally whenever I can afford it. And she is a hero to me. And I was devastated and I was like, I I hope that you come back. You know, I'm you know, I'm sad I missed you. I am looking forward to the next time you come back. I'm paraphrasing, and I looked, and somebody said that she will be back on the thirtieth at Mall of America, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm excited. I gotta get her book. I gotta read her book, and I wasn't originally going to go because I'm like, well, I gotta be responsible. I gotta do all my work. I gotta you know, be an adult, and then I look at my schedule the day of, I woke up early, I'm like, you know what, I have a really relatively light work week, so you know what, I'm going to go, and I'm going to meet her. So I got to the mall, I got in line, and, you know, I'm waiting, and I'm reading, I bought her book ahead of time, and I'm reading it, and like 10, 5 minutes before, she comes up in front, instead of not going to the back, and then, Immediately, everybody froze. You, like, you can tell people were nervous. And, and that's where it really started getting to me about how excited I was and how nervous I was. She took a picture uh, of the store. You can see me in the picture. And it was still a surreal moment. And then finally, I was number five in line, by the way. And then eventually it was my turn and I was a nervous wreck. I was shaking. I even told her that I'm shaking. And there was a lot that I had to say to her because of how, what was she means to me and what she means to the fan community. And she was so sweet and such a darling. And I told her that I will be at a celebration and she says that they are going to do something at celebrations again this year. So... It was such an important moment to me that I was still shaking after I met her. And I have a picture of her. I have three, two, three things, two things signed from her. It's just, it was amazing. And she was so nice. And I'm hoping one day to hopefully interview her and, yes. you know, see her, see her at celebration. We have so. to. We that is our that is our charter. Our mission is to get a fifteen minute interview with Ashley Eckstein. That I think that that's a great goal. I've mentioned this before. It's a great goal for us to have. I'm so happy that you met her. I'm so not surprised that she's so sweet. She honestly, here's the thing. You know, we've talked about Dave Filoni directing a movie before. Again, going back to my Ahsoka and Clone Wars thesis. Filoni and Eckstein might be the two most important people in Lucasfilm over the last 10 years, I think. Potentially. Those two, together. She is also so short that I think she could She's still tiny. play... Yeah. She, she, she could play a clone, a, a clone Wars, a Ahsoka, if she had to. She's short, and I think she would do good at it. Rosaria Dawson. <laughs> love- for, for Clone Wars, for yeah. Clone Wars, she, no, she, she, she would great. be too tall. She's great. She'd be too tall. She's great. No, she's 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 for for, for Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah. no, no, well, too tall. The, well, here's the thing. The thing is, this is the main reason people they, they didn't love Ahsoka originally. They fell in love with her was because 
the woman behind the voice is so real and so believable. You know what I mean? I think when people express dissatisfaction with everything from the prequels to Rogue One to Last Jedi, it's because of lack of believability, blah, blah, blah. She's so believable just in her voice and her presence. And it's so smart that Disney you know, encouraged her to have her own company, even while promoting Disney things, but doing other things as well. You know, they could have just co-opted her into the company. And this is what's so great about Disney is keeping people in their orbit. I mean, Ewan McGregor is doing a Winnie the Pooh movie this summer, like a family movie with Haley Atwell and Winnie the Pooh. He's working with Disney. He just did Beauty and the Beast. We know he's going to do an Obi-Wan movie. Disney, it's like Lupita Nyong'o. They keep these people in their orbit. Ashley Eckstein. That's why I want Felicity Jones back. Disney, please, please sign Felicity Jones for another movie. You know you want to. It's a no-brainer. They do a great job at this. And uh, that that's awesome. That That's so awesome. I would like to recommend her book i read her book while i was waiting in line i didn't finish it and i am planning on finishing it as soon as i finish my other canon books but it's called it's your universe and i do recommend it it's a quick read you should be able to finish it in maybe two or three hours i think i do recommend reading it because it tells the story of actually Eckstein growing up as well as it being a source of inspiration so maybe you might not want to read it i would still recommend you want to read it but perhaps oh i would totally read it you came me give me a copy of that i'll read it in a second but perhaps you could get it for like your little one if you have a little one or a niche or a nephew because it is such a good book and it's colorful and engaging and she has like a lot of disney references in it as well as being like serious and being like she's very know your goals go get them don't tell don't let anyone tell you not to. And that is something that I take to heart because if you hear me speak and if you know me, um, my handicap being deaf, people be, you know, I do podcasting not because I should do it because of my handicap, but because I shouldn't. And I look at my handicap and I'm be like, you know what? My handicaps do not define me. I can be more than what I am. And I can be a deaf woman who shouldn't be doing podcasts professionally. Um, I'm doing it because I defy my handicaps. I do not let them limit me. I th- I think they have a plan. Honestly, Jackie Curl, I, I honestly think they would not have... I, look, let me put it this way. I've been predicting ever since they got rid of Lord and Miller that they would lose money on this movie. I did not think they would lose as much money as they're losing, but I did think they would lose money on the movie. And I think Disney's smarter than me and has access to way more information and was expecting to lose money. They planted or left this mall thing in very much on purpose. And I think some combination of the Jon Favreau and the Game of Thrones guys or something, this is all coming together. They're building this sub-universe pre-Rogue One, post-Episode 3, with the scum and villainy and with Maul and everything else going on. It seems too perfect. Here's the problem. The people who think it's cool and even understand why Darth Maul might come back or would come back 
aren't these the same people that are already seeing Solo anyways? Like, are, you know, like as much as we love Ahsoka and Mala and, you know, the, the newer version of Obi-Wan, is this going to... I mean, Ewan McGregor will bring people to the box office, but... I just I don't know what the full reach of Ahsoka is. I know among the hardcore fans of all ages and genders that it's there, but I don't know what it means among the wider fan base. I don't know if you have any ideas about this. I do, because remember the proposal that I made, the movie that would feature Ahsoka would be towards the end. I think whenever you have a series of films that lead up to an event, it's something that gains gain steam so you would introduce her in a movie not towards the beginning but towards the end when you're already having your steam rolling towards the event film so okay let me give you a direct question here because i I can't get my next point without this when the fuck did this movie take place because i can't tell if it was 10 years before yavin or one year before yavin it was 10 Okay, so this it's implying that he was going to run numerous missions for Jabba on Tatooine over a number of years. Is that is that what's implied? Yeah, and that's one of my problems with the canon material is that they all cram that there's this wide high span. But yeah, and it, it's left wide open that he's going to Tatooine, but that doesn't necessarily mean Jabba. I mean, yeah, you and I know that's Jabba, but it's not specifically said that it's Jabba. And who's to say he doesn't hit a detour? You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, I mean, again, it's show don't tell. I mean, this is the thing. Ha- the Han Solo movie felt like... It had to keep telling us and using exposition to connect things. Rogue One never did this. It, it just, you saw the Rebel War Room. It didn't say, hey, look at this holographic green Rebel War Room from A New Hope. It was like, nope, th- th- we're just going to do it, you know? Uh, and, and, I, I th- you know? and again, same thing with Ryan Johnson. I, I, like so much went unsaid, Forest Awakens as brilliant and funny and rewatchable as it is it's it's not particularly subtle you know um and i i think that isn't i know i keep coming back to this but i think this isn't actually an interesting divide among people who want kind of artistic challenging not always you know pleasurable at every moment star wars movies and people who want the han solo indiana adventure stuff essentially although i will point out of the four movies it's interesting that the one with the actual original han solo made two billion dollars and the one with the new han solo is going to make like 20 percent of that (laughs) it's also the first star wars from in 10 years and so on and so on but yeah that's true that's true and this is what i've been preaching about episode nine by the way is as sad as Carrie Fisher's passing is, as sad as that we've seen Luke and Han die, the inmates are finally running the asylum in episode nine. It's just the kids, you know? One of my biggest complaints about Solo was Woody Harrelson hanging around the whole time. Like, it should have just been the kids. Like, Lando, you know, Chewie, Han, Kira, L3. Like, they didn't need, they didn't need Woody in there. It should have just been the kids. Um, no, but on the same token, 
Beckett isn't a legacy character. He's a new character, so... No, I know. I'm just saying, I don't think he was needed. And I love Woody Harrelson. I like what he did in the movie. I just... It wasn't clear why he was tagging along the whole time. Because his betrayals didn't seem to happen until the very end, so I, I didn't really get it. He's supposed to be the mentor to Han. It's where he learns a lot of his tricks and lessons, like not trusting anybody. And it, it was Beckett that helped guide him to his character development at the end. I don't think Han Solo at the beginning of the movie would have shot first like he would to like he did towards the end. It's just in Beckett was important to the evolution of who Han became, but it like I said before, the problem with that is it all seemed rushed rushed and condensed that you could easily have spread across a couple of films or I, I don't know, it just seems like everything that happened with this character happened all at once, and that kind of undermines Beckett importance. But yeah, he's supposed to be a mentor. He's supposed to be guiding Han everything he knows, which I don't know how that's happened with a week most that he spent with him. Yeah, and, and this is why I always get concerned when I, there's tons of people saying the movie's too long and everything's rushed. Um, at the same time, what you hear with this movie, um, you know, I often say I'd love to have 10 to 20 minutes more of Rogue One, but I love that, you know, it being too long isn't, isn't a major complaint, I suppose. Um, this movie felt too long and too rushed at certain points, I, I guess. Um, but again, it has to do with the media. Like if, if, if it wasn't such a big fucking deal to go to movie theaters and pay so much money to sit in shitty seats and watch shitty movie, you know, movie screens, you could just go, it was just like a different viewing experience. People, it wouldn't be so serious, you know, why so serious, you know, like, I I don't know where you're going. Where I'm going, there's recliner seats. So I'm nice and comfortable whenever I go to this show. But I'm saying it's still a thing. Like, I'm going to the movies. I'm paying a bunch of money. I'm seeing this movie. I expect to have a certain experience. If you watch something on your TV, you can either turn it off or you watch it and you say, okay, whatever. I just watched it on my TV. You know? So there's... I'm giving you crap. I'm no, no, no. I know, no. But I, I'm being dead serious about this, and this is why I'm concerned about Maul, Obi Wan, and Ahsoka, because I want them on the big screen, even if it's in an, an anthology movie and not a saga movie. But I'm concerned that they're going to end up on the small screen. They'll be okay with it because that's where the model seems to be going. Like Jessica Jones, like perfect example. Jessica Jones, Kristen Ritter, Jessica Jones should be on the big screen. She should be a movie star. She is good enough, funny enough, and awesome enough to be a movie star. By by happenstance, she's on Netflix, and that's great. You know, like Chloe Bennett, too, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., she is a movie star. She should be in the movies. She's on television, and you also see actors in movies who should probably be on TV, that that that's all I'm saying. Um, I hope they get the full movie treatment, but it seems it seems like with Ball and with Ewan McGregor, I, I mean, right? I mean, th- they have to do some variation of this. So the question is, do we now try and figure out a new story about Obi Wan and Maul that we didn't know about that somehow fits, or do we reframe something that we've seen already? Oh, I have my own ideas about what that would look like. Go on. Well, that goes right into my theory of a event series of film. 
Okay, Go on. <laughs> so my proposal of you cannot have the meat until rebels, and I think reinterpreting it on the live screen would be just too convoluted, just because of the lead up to this that confrontation, that making a hour and a half film from a half an hour to 15 minute segment of a TV show is that. But anyway, my proposal is is that we know that Maul is in charge of a criminal organization. We know that Obi-Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine, home of Jabba. Obi-Wan Kenobi well, could it's get... it's too bad they haven't introduced a mechanism to travel across the galaxy in time and space involving Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and Maul. Come on, Jedi Geek Girl, you have to admit, my idea is in play here. I'm not saying it's time travel. My idea is in play with the world between worlds. They introduced it! It's, it's in play, but Sorry. you know I don't I sub- subscribe to that. I have a different. Well, I don't know approach. what you don't subscribe to. We saw the world between worlds. I don't. I don't understand. I've listened to that podcast a million times. I can't figure out what we're not agreeing on in this whole thing. We see Ahsoka change times and places, and then go to another time and place. I, I don't know what else to call it. Is this like a, is this a thing because like, and again, just no judgment. It's a bizzle cast. Guys, if you're trying to judge us, then leave. Okay. We're having a real discussion here. Is this like a, I don't watch Star Trek. No, but you watch Doctor Who. So you are familiar with this stuff. So never mind. I take that back. I think that is a mechanism that shouldn't be used as a recurring story element. And when it comes to the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Maul, I think that is an easy way to tell a story that I think it's doesn't the only way. leave too much room for creativity. You can still have them confront without actually having them face-to-face no. through a different way of storytelling. Well, no, you just said, you just said, A, Obi-Wan can't leave Tatooine. B, they can't meet each other before we saw each other in Rebels. Right, so that that already solves potentially that problem. Well, no, no. I mean, I'm just. <laughs> it's not. I, I'm not trying to. I, I'm not trying to like assert something here. I'm just trying to understand why they wouldn't use something that Filoni introduced that was so beautiful and people liked overall. You know, like, why wouldn't you at least consider using something like that to get these characters together to have an adventure? You know, like, it's just like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's exactly like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You get in the wardrobe, you close the door, you go through the other way, and you jump through into another portal. I mean, that's what C.S. Lewis was talking about. This isn't like a super heady thing, you know, like... It's just a way for people to have adventures together that are in different places and different times. Um, and again, Filoni could have introduced the world between worlds completely as a maverick with no permission and no one cared. So he just did it or they thought it was a great idea and thought they could do something with it in the future. Maybe not here, but it would explain how Obi-Wan could leave Tatooine what would be your scenario? Like, h- how would Maul get, get worked in then? If, if they're not using World Between Worlds and they can't meet before Rebels, then how does that get worked into the whole thing? 
Maul is the leader of a criminal organization. Jabba the Hutt is also the head of a criminal organization. Obi-Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine. The criminal organizations have warfare that spread the galaxy and can conflict with getting Obi-Wan Kenobi stuck right in the middle. You can tell a story with Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi where they don't meet and perhaps don't. Obi-Wan wouldn't even know it Maul. That is not a movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We've already seen Obi-Wan in... We've already seen in a film arguably the best part, most memorable part of all of The Phantom Menace was the extended Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Darth Maul stuff. uh, Duel of the Fates at the end. I mean... Even for people who didn't like that movie, that was clearly... And again, I'm talking about bringing more people back into the fold. People who didn't like The Phantom Menace like that stuff a lot. Now you're bringing Darth Maul back and they're not even going to meet because of some consistency issue with the cartoons. This is, you know, this is my thing today, Geek Girl. I think the cartoons, the comics, and the books have to be willing to yield to the movies and the mainstream television shows. I think the movies and the mainstream television shows have to have priority over these other things because otherwise you're introducing these cool ideas, but then you can never revisit them in the place that 95% of people who are watching these things would revisit them. Um, And so I think there are a lot of ways of doing this. I do think, however, to change the topic slightly, but related, we need to figure out how to get practical ahsoka asap and you know figure out who's gonna do it you know i joke about rosaria dawson i'm open to anyone who's who's great um they have to do practical ahsoka it's so easy i was watching part of return of the jedi the other night i mean the the twi'leks look great you know so if lucas could do that in 83 don't you agree like they should be able to pull that off now pretty easily let's let's move to general predictions then what 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 do you think we realistically are going to see that we're familiar with at all in the next couple of years? Because honestly, I love the idea that Ryan Johnson or the Game of Thrones guys or whoever have all these new ideas. And I, I do agree that there was too much on the nose-ness at, at times, at many times with Han Solo. But there has to be a happy middle ground, right? So... Do you see a united vision at this point under Kathleen Kennedy and the story group? Or do you think they're just, everyone kind of just goes and does, you know, does their thing and and see what sticks at this point? I think it is on the table. I don't think it is confirmed yet. I think a lot of it hinges on if the Baba film happens or not. I think there's talk of it but I don't think it is set in stone. I think right now the vision of the future of Star Wars is everybody does their own thing, but with the introduction of Maul that introduced the possibility of connecting a lot of films. At least that's what I think the direction is right now. Okay, so I'm going to give my final thought and I'll give you final, final thought. Um, My final thought is... 
If we get a Boba Fett movie before an Obi-Wan or Jin Erso movie, that would make me potentially leave the franchise. That's the kind of decision making that would make me leave. Now, obviously, if it was a brilliant movie and they revisioned the character and they introduced all these new character traits and he was way cooler than we thought and not the whiny kid or the silent stoic bounty hunter, blah, 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 blah. Sure, I'd be on board. But when you have... Literally, Ewan McGregor and Felicity Jones, who have both been nominated for numerous Academy Awards over the course of their career and are loved for their roles in Star Wars and out, and you don't sign them and you do a Boba Fett movie, that's when I would start to sympathize with the, not the haters, but the skeptics, I would say, um, for reasons that you know, even way more than Phasma. I mean, the thing is, with Phasma, this is the sad thing. With Phasma, with, with Gwendolyn Christie, you have a great Emmy Award-nominated actress that you could actually build around. Boba Fett is nothing. He is a, a, a husk. He is a shell, literally, of nothing. So you don't sign Gwendolyn Christie, Felicity Jones, Ewan McGregor, all these characters. I, I mean, I think you could understand that I would be understandably furious about that. Um, so I hope that's not true. I think if you look at the rumors of the Kenobi movie and the Boba Fett movie as they stand right now, and if you were to take them as real fact, a Obi-Wan Kenobi movie would happen before Boba Fett because Boba Fett hasn't even been greenlit. According to rumors, where the Kenobi is a lot more and further along in production, it is talk is supposed to be the 2020 film. So if the Boba Fett film would happen and you're probably looking at 2021 um or something like that so regardless i think kenobi movie if both rumors are true would happen before a boba fett movie so i don't think we're going to lose you yet but let me just put it this way if they're really trying to reach the people who can only be reached through boba fett they've already failed right my my problem is the focus on legacy characters from the original trilogy. I understand that Kenobi, a Kenobi movie, you'll have tied to the prequel with Ian McGregor and it wouldn't be too much, but you're still using a legacy character uh, connected to the original trilogy. I think that's where you love my the prequels. No, no, that this has not. No, it has nothing to do with the prequels. It has everything to do with connection to the original trilogy okay. and not going out and doing new things. All right. No, keep going, keep going. I'm following you. Uh, I do believe that the original trilogy has a lot to offer, but I think it always has to go in new and fresh directions. That is why I am excited for the Ryan Johnson trilogy more than any story that can come out of the original trilogy thing because I understand the original trilogy is really popular, but okay, you have Rogue One, you have... I'm going to throw Episode 7 underneath the bus here just, just because, just for argument's sake. You have Solo, You let's say both of these rumor films happen, you have Boba Fett, you have Kenobi, Kenobi would be t- more tied to the prequels, but you're still dealing with a legacy character from the original trilogy. Where's the expansion of Star Wars? Where's these new stories? Where's this ever-arching series thing? So that's where my concern would lie about a Boba Fett film. Yes, I would like a series of event films, but it can't just be these types of films you gotta expand like if we had two movies a year and you had like the Boba Fett and this you know the original trilogy stuff along with something that's something too but you you have to expand and not rely on 
legacy characters. As much as we love these legacy characters film, so is Ahsoka a legacy film, character? I, when I say legacy character, to clarify, I'm talking about original trilogy characters. Okay, but Obi-Wan, as played by Ewan McGregor, isn't from the original trilogy. He's he's playing a younger version of that. And it's still a character that was introduced in A New Hope. That's what I'm trying to make. So, Right. And Qui-Gon was introduced as his master in the prequels. And then later, uh, uh, Ahsoka was introduced as someone who never existed before as a Padawan of Anakin Skywalker, who we had never seen that way before. I mean, that's the thing. I used to criticize the prequels, but like everything is a prequel of a prequel of a prequel in Star Wars. I feel like if it's done well, I'm fine with it. I think the problem with Han Solo was it was too self-referential and it didn't, it just didn't hit a, a bunch of times, you know, but I, I think if you put at this point, Ahsoka, Maul, Obi-Wan, and Anakin would all be considered various levels of legacy characters to the current generation. But those four, you put them together in a war movie like Siege of Mandalore, that's, that's what you need. I, I think that, that's, that's really the key for me. Um, I, think, I think with the Siege of Mandalore story, having a movie featuring Kenobi, Anakin, Ahsoka and Maul, yeah, they are legacy characters, but the Siege of Mandalore is a monumental event in canon that has not been told in good detail and showing it. I think, yes, you have a film that has these legacy characters, but you're also dealing with a major event in time that I think would add to the film that would detract if that would detract if you look at it as a film as legacy characters because it's more of a event film than a film focused around a legacy character if that makes any sense yeah i i i just i i guess i'm i don't fully agree with with the distinction at, at this point ray feels like a legacy character for me like that's how central of an impact she's had to the culture and if you're if you're five years old you know, and you you buy her universe stuff and you watch Forces of Destiny and you love Rey, like, what's the fucking difference, you know? Um, we should keep blurring those lines, I guess is what I'm, I'm fighting for. Let's keep the great things from the originals. Let's keep the great things from the prequels. Let's keep the great things from the new movies and just move <clears throat> on. I mean, honestly... I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm, uh, I'm almost ready to say Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie because I've seen the original so fucking many times. I know it by heart. You know, I know everything by heart. I know, you know, I know the lines by heart. Um, and I, I think if, if we were just all sort of self-educated as to the nostalgia that was going on on various levels, it would solve a lot of problems. Um... So let me, let's, you know what? This would be a great way to end is to go all the way back to the beginning and ask a very basic question, which is you did really like Solo. Well, not your favorite, which is totally fine. It's not my favorite either. You did like Solo. You weren't crazy about everything. What do you make of the specific um, incidents that's going on of really, really, really low box office, but seemingly very mostly at least positive response by fans um uh and social media like what do you make of all this 
I think it is a really complex issue. I don't think there is one unlining factor. I think there is many different factors. And I think if we sit here and try to dissect it, we could probably sit here for a good hour or so talking about it because it's not simple. And I would hope that the film would do better. I hope that it has a better second weekend than a first. But it is a easy question to answer. And it is also a hard one. If I had to sit back and pick one if you put a gun to my head and i hate using that phrase and you're like okay what's the one reason why i would be i would say a lack of interest is the reason why yeah no i agree i agree i agree lack of interest but you know what even though from a filmic perspective every bone on my body tells me that infinity war is a better movie than han solo I think about Han Solo more and will be thinking about it more in the future. It'll be a more important part of my life in the future. And I know that's just part of both the blessing and curse of being a Star Wars fan, but I never really, as sad as some of the revelations, I'm not going to spoil anything here, as sad as some of the revelations are in Black Panther and then especially Infinity War, I never really felt like crying. And Han Solo was definitely the least amount of feeling like crying of, of the new movies, but there definitely were some moments where I was tearing up. And I, I don't know how to ascribe that to any other um, franchise, Jedi Geek Girl. I mean, I, 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 again, I told you this via text, but I'll tell the listeners, you guys know that I, I always have Rogue One on in the background. I'm listening to parts here, watching parts there. But the other night I had it on and I was like, you know what? I, this is my movie. I need to just go to bed, turn the lights off, lay back, watch it on my computer with the you know, earphones on. And I fucking cried my eyes out, like in a ha- but almost in a happy way for two hours. It made me feel something, you know? And the Star Wars movies just make me feel something. And the Marvel movies, as great as they are for me, it just doesn't get there. Other than maybe like Captain America, the Winter Soldier a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That, that, that's my last thought. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave you with a final thought. I think that's what makes Star Wars so great is the ability to make you connect to this world of mythology that is so much like us, but it's so different that all the Star Wars films have that emotional resonance outside of maybe a couple of the prequels and episode four. But that is why we are so invested into these films is because we get a reaction. I think regardless of if you like The Last Jedi or not, it stuck with you. It is something that you think about that affected you, that affected you positively or negative, that you actually feel. With Solo, you might have enjoyed it, but are you going to be talking about it in five years from now or are you going to be talking about the sequel trilogy? It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. And again, as an anthology guy who loves Rogue One, I can't argue that point because it's not even close to Rogue One on that specific issue you just addressed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 No, I, 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 I agree. I agree. But, but I do think it is a healthy sign going forward if we can, by choice, have smaller stakes movies and television shows, you know, is great. That's why I liked Rebels 
over Clone Wars because Clone Wars was just like a giant world ending bat universe ending battle every single episode. It felt like, you know, Rebels was so much more personal with the characters and the little missions they were um they were doing together. Um I was speaking of which, to end on a lighter note and then we'll sign out. Would you be interested in doing some more Rebels uh, commentaries? I would, but we have to do the Phantom Menace fish. Oh, yes. Okay, guys. So this is happening. So I, I wasn't able to do Attack of the Clones yet with Simi. I definitely will release. Well, here's the thing, Jedi Geek Girl. You pointed out my penchant for going backwards. So regardless of which I record first, which do you think I should release first? Episode two or episode one? I think I guess either one would be okay. I am preferential to an episode featuring yours truly, but I I would say it's up to you. Um, I think one, because uh, for all the flaws of one, it also has some high highs, um, especially with Natalie Portman and obviously, you know, Ewan McGregor and, you know, uh, and so forth. I also Um, think it's a little bit more relevant because it has Maul and Maul is the talk of the community right now so i think it would be a good idea to going back and looking at the first appearance of mall through a commentary since the lens and stuff like that so I mean, could you imagine if mall had shown up in episode eight for example it's just it's bizarre to think about the possibilities about where he could have shown up um oh this was my final point then we'll really sign out which was I, I have become more a little bit more critical of some individual parts of Last Jedi over the last however much time. However, I will say the highest highs of The Last Jedi are, you know, not matched by most, if any, of the Star Wars movies. Um, I think... I think the biggest, my biggest problem with Last Jedi at this point is that the Ray, Kylo, and Luke stuff is so great that I just want to see that movie. Um, that's how great it is, um, and I guess we're gonna see that, right? Episode nine ish. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that episode nine, like I made predictions in a previous episode, and I'm gonna say it again, is going to be the most popular of the sequel trilogy. I also see it being making the most money second to episode seven of the newer films. I think it's going to be to beat the last Jedi rogue one and obviously Han Solo at the box office. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they can really do. I mean, the last Jedi was just so dramatically epic and you had the amazing space battle. We had some great space battle stuff in that movie. And then you had the amazing final space battle in rogue one. Um, I think it would be a mistake to a try and just top those movies in those areas and b just be the new return of the Jedi. I know I've described it as the new return of the Jedi, but I think that would be a mistake, but I think Kathleen Kennedy and JJ Abrams and the brain trust are smarter than to do just that. So I think we do have some great action coming, but I do think there's going to be some surprises. I think, I think the, the problem with episode eight was there was maybe a few too many surprises that felt like we're going to surprise you, even if that wasn't the intent. Again, judging by people who didn't appreciate the movie, um, but J.J. Abrams knows how to get people into the seats, and that that has to be their big um, 
big coming back together. Do you think we're going to see like actual TV shows of any sorts before that, that movie airs? Yeah, we're going to have, I think we might see, well, obviously we'll have resistance. We're getting resistance in the fall and the second season of resistance ship maybe being shown already as well as the live action show on the streaming services might be out by then, but it, we'll wait and see. And I think we're going to see more Forces of Destiny 2 before then. So we'll get more content before then. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think I was making the connection between our, our connection with Last Jedi and Rogue One. But, you know, we also have the connection with Donald Glover and, uh, and Felicity Jones. We love great, amazing, charismatic, attractive, cool, awesome, badass actors and actresses and i think ultimately the star wars universe will be decided on them keep signing these people but keeping these people and you know if they don't do more lando for example for you know sort of short-term money reasons i i think would be incredibly foolish but i i I don't know how that works if there's one thing that we need more of it's lando (laughs) Were you were you sad when when L three died? I was the first time. Mm-hmm. She was an interesting character. She was. She didn't have as much screen time as I thought that she deserved. But you know, there's there's still much that we could talk about Han Solo in his movie. But I do think that it is definitely worth seeing i do think it's worth seeing a couple of times to try to refine your opinion but the film does have its positives and it does have its negative but i had a good time and i'm hoping to go for round four here in a couple yeah. of weeks and maybe right. round five we'll see but all right well uh give us a tease of what you're up to the next couple of weeks on your, your your podcast and of course we've got star wars celebration tickets coming up and so forth so what do you got going on the next couple of weeks i got my own podcast that i do so i do that weekly i have content that i am constantly doing to that and of course i'm going to do a more content with you so a lot of podcasting work and stuff like that if people like to find me find my podcast they can just search ivy bell a star with disney podcast through any podcast server they can find me on facebook at facebook.com slash destiny my website at ivybelldestiny.com my twitter page i tweet a lot about star wars especially about the solo film at jedi geek girl or you can send me an email at ivybelldestiny at gmail.com it's a great name for your podcast. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that uh, before. Um. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You know, you, you're over there having your gin you know? Yeah. Do, do, you do agree with me, though, that they, it's a no-brainer to sign her if she wants to for a movie, right? I mean, it seems like... It, it's, it's like what they should have done with Natalie from the beginning and didn't, basically. You know, like keep these women actresses you know these academy award-winning women actresses like keep them on board i i i love daisy ridley to death but she's not really done anything else felicity jones natalie portman they are they are award winners like keep them on board 
Um, so yeah, I would love to be a part of that process. Um, so we got the cartoon, we got the TV show, we got the movies coming up. Oh, real quick in the line. Do you think there's another animated series else, uh, going to be announced or it's just going to be the, the anime resistance show? I think it is very likely. Mm-hmm. You think one, do you think it'll be aimed for different a- ages? I think it's really interesting. I, it's really interesting because they could do, they could do an animated series for their live streaming service, and I think that that is where they'll have another animated series if they do choose. So I think there's one like Loops Academy. I think it's going to be an animated series, and obviously Resistance is not that. So I think it is very likely that we will get a animated series on the street Disney Disney. Yeah, the streaming Disney service. Is it just me, or has there not been any uh, Star Wars show videos since the movie came out? Oh, we had a new Forces of Destiny episode, but that's about it. Strangely silent. They should embrace it. They should just come out and thank the fans and be like, yep, we're going to lose money. We love the movie. We're glad you guys love it. That's... That that would be my advice to you, Disney, if you're listening to me. Just embrace it because, trust me, you will be doing fine in the future. I am so confident in the future of this franchise. And it's just nice to see, honestly, Jedi Geek Girl, even though you and I both have problems with this movie, it's just nice to physically see some positivity in the social media sphere, for once, with Star Wars. I agree 100%. And I do think that they should take a deep breath and... Let the last four, three to four years of Star Wars soak in with the fan because when 2019 comes, we're going to get hit with a lot in the Star Wars community. Like I mentioned before, you're going to have season two of Resistance. You're going to hopefully have the live action. You're going to have Celebration. You're going to have Episode Nine. You're going to have Galaxy Edge open in both locations as well as your books and your comics and other things that we do not know. Uh, I think that I love my Star Wars content, but they really need to embrace this next six months and just kind of let it settle. I mean, of course, we'll get books and we're having resistance, but we need to soak, and I think they should too because you don't want to wear your audience, and I think the last three years we've been kind of going, going, going. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you know, you buy something <clears throat> late twenty twelve, and you want to turn it around already by twenty fifteen. You're going to hit some speed bumps. Um, I guess I've actually appreciated that they haven't tried to force out more than they have. People, you know, accuse them of materialism, blah 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 toys, but it's honestly it's been pretty reasonable, I think, based on on all factors. Um, and look, my two and a half year old nephews are playing with lightsabers, so I cannot complain. I am thrilled. They've got porgs and lightsabers and stormtrooper shirts. I'm so close. I'm like I'm like a year away from being able to do it. I guess the real question is, is when are you going to introduce Jin to them? <laughs> Never. The, well, they're going to fall in love with Princess Leia, like I did. That's the whole point. Yeah, they got to start with Leia. You can also introduce them to Jin through Forces of Destiny. Absolutely. 
and uh, their 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 older cousin uh, uh, Avery, who's five, loves Force of Destiny. He's got all the stuff, so it's it's really strong. I think that's the other thing that's being underreported. Actually, is while there's not a ton of box office, it's a wide spectrum of demographics, ages, parts of the country, and so forth that are seeing the movie. Um, which I think is it is really important, you know, that kids are seeing it. Um, and to me, that 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 makes a huge difference. And I know people are like feeling really down, but guys, honestly, like I'll say it one more time, and then I'm gonna let you get girl go, and we'll sign out. Like if this is the worst that comes out of Lucasfilm in the first ten years, we have so much to be happy and thankful for. Honestly, I mean. If this is the worst, there are some horrible Marvel and DC movies out there. If this is the worst that comes out of of, of Star Wars. We are in for some treats. So, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Jedi Geek Girl. It was great to get your reaction after the third viewing. I'm going to try and do one more, I think. Um, the problem, not the problem, the thing is there's no really good or interesting blockbuster movies all summer, basically. So I'll probably end up seeing this and Deadpool a couple times and some other movies. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, thoughts of the the long, dark summer of, of no good movies. I don't really have any. I know that Ant-Man can interest me, but I probably won't go to out to the theater just because of the logistics of life. But uh, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next one. And until next time, Bizzle, Jedi Geek Girl, out. We out. <laughs>